I'm Amy from Brewha and welcome to Brew Happy. At Brewha, we market products and services that make buildings better, but as we all know, no building operates in isolation. With Brew Happy, we're looking at the backdrop to these built environments and the key drivers that affect the markets. Throughout the episodes, we have the pleasure of being joined by key market influencers to hear their take on the topic. And this series, we're looking at buildings and their relationship with the climate crisis and all things green. And all in the time that it takes to brew and enjoy a cup of tea or coffee. So pop the kettle on and we'll get started. Today's episode is part two with Legal and General's Capital, John Bromley, Head of with Legal and General Capital's John Bromley, Head of Clean Energy Strategy and Investment Director, Matthew Truella, Managing Director at Kenza Contracting, and Ciro co-founder and CEO, James Williams. If you missed the first part, James, Matt and John give us an insight into their companies and why the work they're doing is so important in the fight against climate change to reach the net zero goal. You can find that episode on our website, bruhamarketing.com, and it's also on most podcast platforms, so you can take your pick. Established in 1836, Legal and General is now one of the UK's leading financial services groups with the purpose of building a better society while improving the lives of their customers and creating value for shareholders. To do this, they are investing in long-term assets that benefit everyone from housing to renewable energy in what they call inclusive capital. Through Legal and General Capital's clean energy platform, they are scaling up the innovative businesses capable of delivering the solution needed to reduce emissions throughout the economy, which is why their partnership with both Kenza and Ciro make a huge amount of sense. Kenza and Ciro are two of the businesses helping to transition the residential housing sector to net zero carbon. And so let's pick up where we left off in the last episode. James, I know a big thing for Ciro is is about the sort of affordability or making it accessible. How do you go about delivering decarbonisation without compromising on cost? Now that's, a, that's a good question. I, I enjoy that word. And I think the key word in there is, is, is cost and how you judge cost because industry has a, you know, has a way of... Uh, to, uh, use a new housing site as, as an example you know the, the standard sort of viability for a new housing development purely looks at pounds and pence in this moment in time yeah we don't assess long-term cost or value well enough so first of all you know, I, I think i'll boldly say that net zero is actually an investment and not a cost there is a long-term value to delivering a net zero solution or whether that's new build or retrofit we just have to make sure that we understand where the value sits and you know so so there are clearly there's the it could be the running costs of the resident you know the long-term running costs of the resident uh it could be it could be as simple as the fact that some of the technologies we're talking about have a much longer life you know the, the kenza ground source heat pump will outlast a, a gas boiler so there are there are costs in replacing or servicing there are costs in the energy system. We're always having to build or reinforce or adjust for a home that hasn't got the flexibility to operate at the, you know, so from a system point of view at the lowest cost. So there are what if we start to sort of break down these sort of various costs and value opportunities, actually net zero is the best thing to do right now. We we do keep, we want to ensure that it's a, you know, it's a win-win 
scenario. So from a from a housing owner perspective or for a landlord perspective, that we are you know hitting their targets of net zero and carbon reduction, but also thinking about maintenance and operation of those buildings as well, whilst guaranteeing to in a sense that the outcome for the resident is lower than what they would have had had we not made those investments in the building. It's been reported recently that even some of the energy efficiency measures that we've done over the last decade have saved billions in energy costs. And we're clearly facing a cost of living crisis at the moment. And energy efficiency and the ability to generate, store and use energy locally is the is it's becoming more and more evident the, the sort of golden solution to this problem. And we're suffering now from you know, underinvestment in our buildings. You know, the, the UK has some of the poorest performing buildings in the Western world, and we are exposed more and more and more to these market increases. So yes, there is a, there is a win-win scenario. And from our technologies perspective, what we do is we look at the long-term carbon and we look at the long-term running costs of that building so that when we decide on what technically and what measures we introduce to the to the home we are thinking about those risks around carbon reduction energy reduction and even some of the other sort of health well-being elements like overheating you know that we have we, we will have an issue certainly in the next 10 to 20 years with overheating buildings as well so you've got to consider all these things over the longer term, looking forward. And the one thing the building industry has not typically done well historically is look forward. It, it, everything that it uses, even down to the you know, sort of the SAP standard assessment procedure, is, is using fixed historical data to measure things like carbon uh, in buildings. So, yes, looking forward is, is, is really important. I completely agree. It's really the only way we're going to make any concerted progress is if we're actually looking in the right direction. Absolutely. Matt, you have arrived at Kenza Construction via NASA, which is a much more exciting journey than most of us had made. <laughs> how, do you, how do you go from the moon to ground source heat pumps? It does seem like a little bit of a, an unusual transition, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but, but actually, I think if you, uh, most of us who've studied astronomy and astrophysics will find it a little bit more straightforward because... For, for instance, we're very used to the concept of global warming. So if you look at the temperatures of Mercury and Venus and compare them and compare the temperatures of the Earth and Mars, you get weird results that don't quite add up. And the reason they don't add up is the global warming that's on Venus and on Earth. So that concept is just day to day in our background. It's just known about. It's, it's understood completely. And um, for me, in the late 90s, then when I was, I was thoroughly enjoying myself in a very relaxing career, running around using big telescopes all around the world and just analysing my data. I started reading around uh, global warming, started looking at the amount of carbon dioxide we're pumping into the atmosphere. And to me, it was immediately obvious that this was going to cause um, global warming and it was going to be pretty disastrous. So uh, it always surprises me how people at the time even wanted to look at the data. Well, let's measure some more. Let's do this. And you think, well, no, it's going to. We already know it does that. It's been, it's been proven and it's been known about for hundreds of years. I don't know why this is even a debate. Uh, obviously, fast forward, here we are 20 odd years ago from, from when I made that decision to, to leave uh, astronomy and go into uh, low carbon um, renewable generation and 
the concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere has gone up and our temperature has gone up. So the fact that we're over one degree now, around 1.1 degree temperature warming, since I made that decision to, to, to move into renewable energy, I think is quite scary, especially when there's a bit of a time delay between the CO2 levels going up and the temperature going up. So we're probably already locked in for, for you know, well over the one and a half degrees that we want to stop it. And we're still pumping out quite a lot and we're still um, you know, burning fossil fuels. We're, we're still in the situation where uh, local authorities have declared climate emergencies and are still allowing new buildings to be built with, that are going to burn fossil fuels um, for, for the foreseeable future. So yeah, it's, for me, I felt that huge sense of urgency in the late 90s and felt that I just, I just couldn't do anything other than, than get involved and you know, start in renewable energy. So it is a transition. So going from just a very you know, esoteric science to engineering and business is, is, a, is, a, is quite a change, but uh, one I don't regret. In fact, I wish I did it earlier, faster and did more and worked twice as hard as I have. So uh, the, ch the challenge, we're making progress, but we've still, still got to accelerate a, a long way yet. Yes, we do. It's really it's heartening to know, though, that gentlemen like yourself, like you three, are are on the fight. Um, what was it about ground source heat pumps that appealed to you? Yeah, so before before I joined Kenza, I, I worked in all sorts of renewable technology, from wind turbines to biomass heating to all all sorts, and and fitted ground source and air source. So I, I had quite a few years of working with all the technology. Um, the, biggest appeal of ground source is that it was the only technology renewable that didn't upset anybody so if you're building a, a wind turbine you get you know quite a lot of uh, people upset generally i actually think there's there's more in favor of wind than are against it but you can guarantee that the very vocal few are going to come out and, and make their feelings known uh, even solar panels people will say oh i don't like them they're ugly and you know i, I don't believe that for, for a minute but that's what people say air source heat pumps you can see them with ground source you can't see anything it's hidden away nobody gets to see it nobody's upset so that was one one early big appeal was finally wanted to get something that people didn't come up to me and said oh uh, you know i love the energy savings but i don't like those things whatever they happen to be secondly ground source genuinely is simpler it's more efficient and it does work better so you have got that um, that higher performance when you think of it as in a one person's home, it, it, the, the choice isn't that critical. You know, our grid can, can handle people connecting all sorts of different things. But when you think about it in terms of millions of homes, then actually things get a little bit more complex and choosing the most efficient, the one that uses the least amount of electricity and even more importantly, uses the um, electricity at the right time, as, as James was touching on earlier, as it helps to balance that grid we think has got the the biggest potential so when we, when we're going for that mass market the 24 million homes that james was talking about that this, that hangs heavy over our, our, our next 30 years choosing the one that has the least impact on the grid so very very simply put if you if you convert more buildings to low carbon heat using ground source and you don't have to build so many wind farms you don't have to reinforce so many grid wires and you don't have to uh, reinforce so many substations you still have to do quite a bit of that but the savings are actually run into the into the many billions of pounds by just making that one simple choice to to choose the most efficient low carbon heat source so so that's that's why ground source that's why we're passionate about it that's why we only do that 
and that's why we're uh, we're committed to making that happen. Cancer contracting specialises in in large scale projects. How have you found that has been embraced? I, I guess because you've got both new build and then you've also got the retrofitting aspects. It's, it's been uh, taken on quite well, actually. I mean, I used to love doing one house at a time back before I joined Kenza and, and you know, giving that lovely personal service to, to to people. But it was very, very labour intensive. You know, it took me a, a couple of days or more for every single property, whereas we can go to a street of properties or a set of tower blocks, quite repeated patterns. New build, you often get reasonably repeated patterns. A lot of the, the difficult work can be done at a desktop stage because you've got the full design drawing. So you can probably put a similar amount of work into doing a few hundred homes as you could into doing two homes. So, you know, we've all, we've all got a limited amount of time that we can throw at this and the, the more carbon reductions we can get for that time and the, and the more homes we can treat, the better. And it, it, that knocks on into costs. So the, the costs for doing a street of 200 homes is probably 30% lower than doing all of those 200 times, one at a time spread in all over the, the country. So that's that's the approach that we've taken. That's why we've chosen to, to only work on larger scale projects. And that's why, why we see it. There's been a huge uptake. So social landlords have, have taken the concept. You know, they've, they've a lot of them have declared net zero targets at various different timescales. So they know they're going to have to decarbonize their stock. And again, even for them, making the decision to do a couple of hundred homes at, at one time or or even a thousand homes, as, as one of our clients chose to do a couple of years ago, um, that just simplifies their their time, effort, board level process. One paper, you know, gets approved, the budget gets approved, and and then you just go out and get on with it. So, so yeah, the the approach seems to be gaining ground. We'd like to see it go from being a, a couple of hundred homes, the odd one of a thousand, to being thousands and and even tens of thousands. Um, but that's our challenge is to take it take it through that. But even in my time at Kenza, we've gone from a couple of homes at a time to 20, 30, 40, to hundreds, to, to a thousand. And, and when we're moving up in scale every couple of years, we, we increase that scale. And hopefully that will continue on through through the 2020s. Mm, it certainly it just sounds like it makes sense. Why would you not do as many as you can at once? An awful lot less work. So, gentlemen, we have all of you have touched on innovation and people sort of, I think, quite happily use the word innovation and maybe slightly too liberally. But how do we innovate to produce eco-friendly solutions? Are we in a position that we have to continue innovating? Have we got what we need that we might be able to hit that? Well, that not might be, we should be hitting that net zero goal or are we reliant on this innovation that still is yet to to happen? I'll well, I'll start. I'll start with that one. Considering I describe the, ourselves as an innovator, I should probably have a really good answer to this question, <laughs> shouldn't I? Got to back it up somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, I'll break it into two two bits. I think there's a tendency sometimes to think that innovation is a thing or a widget that needs to exist to do something. And more and more often, we're looking at the how and the way we do things. And actually, there are opportunities to innovate, i.e. taking an existing problem and finding a new way, new solution, a new way around it. And I think too often in the sectors that we're all operating in, it, there's a sort of business as usual. This is the way things are done. You know, Everything from valuing a property to 
assessing it to maintaining it to 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 supplying it with energy and running it we need to kind of start to take down the sort of business as usual the barriers that this is different and we're going to we're going to look at this this problem in a different way in terms of do we have everything we need to do it yes uh, we, we don't actually of all of the you know net zero challenge across all of the industries actually housing is the one area where we can move very quickly because the barriers are largely socioeconomic rather than technological. We have everything we need. Yes, it, we need to look at things like economies of scale. And so technologies, may, may, you know, they will improve. They will integrate into the home better. They will be easier to supply and install. They will be more reliable. You know, so that we, we will continue to see technology development but we don't need to invent anything that doesn't already exist technically to, to, to answer the challenge that we've already got. Quite a lot of what I would describe as our innovation is how you address the problem and how, and how you address the process of understanding the building, you know, uh, how, you, how, you measure the, how you measure the outcome, how you deliver an experience for the customer, how that starts to integrate and with other parts of the system, like the energy system, because we still sell kilowatt hours through a meter there's there's a lot more innovation that needs to happen around the customer experience and how they buy comfort within their home without necessarily buying kilowatt hours because you think the home of the future well it can generate a kilowatt hour it can store one it can import one and and it can export one and technically that kilowatt hour changes in price and carbon every 30 minutes so that's a there's a huge amount of innovation that can happen around that whole experience of delivering comfort and lower costs to, to residents. So I think from an innovation perspective, there is, a, there, is, there is a lot more that can be done in terms of how this is delivered, how it is measured, how it is financed. But what we do actually in the buildings, we're pretty, you know, I think we clearly will see great innovation come through even in that space. But it, we're not relying on it in, in making progress. I just expand a little bit on what, what James said there. I, I, I 100% agree that we have all the tools we need to do this. And the innovation is how we put them together. We keep getting challenged to just, just invent a new type of heat pump that, you know, and, do, and do this and there you go. But, but actually, innovation in heat pumps, we think, is going to be very small. We're, we're after the odd percent here and there right now. But one example just shows exactly what James illustrates what James was trying to say and also shows why the three of us working together is, is so important. If you're a developer, putting in a ground source heat pump costs more than putting in a gas boiler, probably costs more than putting in an air source heat pump. But the person living in the property then has a longer life appliance and they don't have to replace it so, so frequently and they spend less money on, on electricity. The people supplying electricity into the grid don't have to do quite so much reinforcement, so they make savings. But here we have the the property developer paying more upfront for lots and lots of other people to get lots of benefits. And that's, that's not the right way of, uh, of thinking about things. It's the traditional way of doing things, but us to say, oh, well, put, put this heating system in, it's much better than the others. So they go, well, well, we don't benefit from that. We're just paying out. So the innovation that we're working on, you can bring finance into it. So some of that, that stuff could be financed upfront. The platforms that Sarah are putting in that uh, optimizes the building and brings the savings to the residents and starts um, you know, billing them around comfort and, and rather than the energy they use specifically, 
all of that can be used to, to alleviate the capital costs. So it's perfectly possible. We know over 30 years, putting in these systems costs less than, than any other type of heating system you can put in. But it's how you divide that those costs up over the 30 years and how you make it happen and how you put them all together. That's where the real innovation is going to come in. And that's what we said at the beginning. It's it's all around how we do it. It's the, the economic challenge and it's the social challenge around that rather than anything to do with the technology. The, the how we do it is just bread and butter and we can do it with, almost with our eyes closed. But that's what we think in the future. That just strikes me as one of the projects that, that you're involved in in Oxford in the Energy Hub. I think that's a sort of a great linking together and trying to find how we can make some of these solutions work. Yeah, what, what we're trying to do in Oxford, we've installed ground source heat pumps in 60 properties and we're, we've put an innovative control system. So it's actually internet connected. So what it does is it, it, it learns the building physics, so how long it takes to heat up and cool down and how it does that in different types of weather. It also learns how warm people like to be that are living in it and when. It then looks ahead at the weather forecast for tomorrow and it looks ahead at the price of electricity for tomorrow. And it comes up with a new heating program that that, that means that they're, they're, the occupants are warm when they want to be, but they're also accessing the electricity when it's at its cheapest. By uh, by fantastic coincidence, when electricity is cheapest, it's also lowest carbon, and it's also when the grid is under less strain. So you, you know you fix one of those three things, you fix fix all the others to to some extent. So here we are now. So somebody wanting to be warm at five o'clock, electricity is actually quite expensive and quite hard to come by at five o'clock. But it's relatively easy to come by at two o'clock. So rather than the turn the heating on at 4.30, it will turn it on at two o'clock, get the property a little bit warmer, and then allow it to cool down to the perfect temperature at five o'clock rather than just be just be heating up to it. So that, that's an example of, of you know, an innovative way to use an existing technology that has wide, wide benefits across the whole bit. There is so much for us all to do, but it, I find it very heartening to know that it's the approach, it's our approach to the technology that we have available that is where the innovation is needed because that for me, and, and, and my ignorance is very much um, <laughs> available there, but it, that to me seems as if that's manageable. It's just about how we change, how we interact with the world that... Uh, maybe that does sound like a big thing. Anyway, we'll come to that one another time. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Good to meet you. Thank you. And that is us for the time being. I hope you enjoyed the second part of that conversation. Again, if you missed the first half, you can find it on bruhamarketing.com, along with all the other green building episodes, as well as our social housing series. Alternatively, of course, you can find the show on your preferred podcast platform. And so I shall leave you to the rest of your day and look forward to sharing a couple with you next time. Till then, have fun. <laughs>